seeing Mark now, Mark came up to me this morning. I was like, happy Mother's Day. I'm like, but I'm not a mother. But it's just the mood. It's just the festivity of the day. So to just, we did this series. I, I wish Jesse was here. And he's in the nursery this morning. I might have to call him out at some point. We did this series actually two years ago where we talked about the women of the Old Testament. Does anybody remember that? Okay. And we just kind of went through systematically all the kind of, some of the major female characters throughout the Old Testament. Probably the biggest takeaway from that series. Anybody remember the biggest takeaway? The penguin. Thank you. Right there she is. The, the, the woman holding the penguin. Um, it's so, I mean, I was just thinking about that. I just had to go all the way back there. Um, Lauren, how'd you remember that? You just random, were you just ran, guys randomly? Said you said that. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said that. And I was like, my voice too. <laughs> Lauren. the woman holding the penguin. Look at that right there. Jesse, when, when we were using this kind of as a joke and Jesse said, Man, it looks like she's holding a penguin. And I just, I still love that, that quote. So anyway, we've, we've been, we're going to do the series this year. And we're going to look through these two Old Testament books, Ruth and Esther. And they're the, only, um, they're the only two books of the Bible that are actually named after females. Right? So 66 books. Uh, these two are named after females. Um, and so we're going to spend the next couple months. Again, I, I thought I'd be able to kind of compress it into the summer. It probably will go a little bit into September. Um, but we're going to kind of spend some time in these books. And I looked for, I mean, just kind of in the spirit of cheesy biblical art, I tried to find two more for us. So here's, here's my best attempts from what I could find. Ruth and Esther. And there's Ruth gleaning in the fields, gazingly look, looking up. I don't even know if those are cheesy. but And then there's Esther yelling at, is that Mordecai? No, not Mordecai. Um. Huh? Haman. Haman, that's it, right? Haman, uh, yelling at Haman. He's the one. Um, and, and, and King Xerxes. And uh, Anyway, that's all I got. So <laughs> let's pray. That's, that's all the whole morning. <laughs> now, what I want to do is, one of the things that's always helpful for me, and really, personally, one of the things I like to do is when I go into a book, and we've done this before, so this is no, nothing new for you. The Bible Project... Um, videos that they've made are so remarkable at just kind of compressing a book. I think theologically they're very brilliant. I think artistically they do a very good job. They're concise. And so honestly, like when I'm getting into a book, one of the first resources that I'll personally go to is I'll just go look at the Bible Project video. It gives you a really good layout, gives me a really good layout kind of of the, of the grand scheme of the book. So let's watch this together. It's about, I think it's about seven minutes. And then um, I just got a few other comments that I want to make on the book. And then We'll, we'll wrap it from there, so. Yeah, let's turn, the, let's turn the lights off. That would be. Oh, do you want me to go back to that? There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite. 
And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter one was this one, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days of the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies. And the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees, but Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in the field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. He prays for her that God will reward her so Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, she says, Boaz is their family. No, she would have been like a pagan worshiping other gods. This family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel, where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land, and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family. And he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 30. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day. And he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi. And they marvel together at all of these reasons for going. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi 
and he married Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the son is reversed, as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing is even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters. I can just tell out of the each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making plans And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taking place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, the characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that is brilliant. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her, but actually the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity, combined with Ruth's boldness, Save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decisions and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy, showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Obed, was the grandfather of King David from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. I feel like those guys need a round of applause, right? But I mean, they're, they're really good. Um, that's what the book of Ruth is all about. I got just a few other things I want to say, and then I want to spend some time in the book of Ruth actually reading it, and then I think that's it. So let me say just a few things about the book of Ruth. Uh, in addition to what's already been said through the video, uh, there was this 17th century poet. Look at that name right there. Johann Wolfgang von Goth. Goth? Goethe. Goethe? Goethe. Brian, you were right on time this morning. <laughs> yeah, are you familiar with him? Give me, give us like, I was like trying to do a little research. I mean, obviously he was a really brilliant poet. Yeah, it's German. 
Uh huh. It's got a cool name. Kind of one of the. He was one of the. In in the literary. Yeah. So I mean, a big figure. Let's just put this: a big figure in the literary history <laughs> caused this book. And I, and I know that that Goethe uh, was again my my kind of small understanding of some of his works, and and I'm not very familiar. But a lot of the a lot of the commentators that I was reading about Ruth kept going back to this guy and this quote, and and I guess his endorsement of the Book of Ruth as the loveliest complete work on a small scale ever written. And then Mr. MacArthur, um, he says, what Venus is to statuary and the Mona Lisa is to paintings, Ruth is to literature. What a beautiful book this is uh, that we're going to get to, to navigate over the next couple of weeks. The name Ruth, it means friendship. It means refreshment. That's kind of what her name actually means. Ruth uh, is from this place called Moab. Perhaps if you remember a sermon I did a, a couple Again, about two years ago, and we talked about the whole Moabites, and we'll get into some of that stuff. But the Moabites down here, enemies of Israel, right? They're kind of on the other side of the train tracks, so to speak, on the other side of the Dead Sea. Um, and and this, this map is kind of the map of, of when the judges began to rule, and you have all the different judges and all the different tribes um, that are kind of represented here. Uh, and so the, Moabite, the Moabites right here, again, enemies of Israel, this book takes place somewhere between 1370 and 1041. So that's kind of the time frame, about a thousand years, more or less, before Christ. Or it's, it's about an 11 to 12 year period in the four chapters. It happens again during this, this book of Judges. When we talked about the book of Judges, when we studied the book of Judges too, is there was that cycle that the judges kept going through, right? And that cycle was that the people, the Israelites would rebel, that God would become angry. He'd become frustrated with the people. Uh, they would be oppressed by enemies or there would be famine or there would be some sort of calamity. Uh, the people would cry out in repentance. Uh, God would raise a judge uh, and they would bring salvation. They would bring liberation, peace. Um, and then that judge dies. And this cycle, again, as you read the book of Judges, as we study the book of Judges, I, it was maybe, again, two, three years ago that we did this you see this washing machine of a cycle just happen again and again and again in the book of Judges. And so when the, when the, the narrator says that Ruth kind of happens um, when the judge is ruled, you have to have this context in, in the background of thinking, okay, well, they're, they're probably being oppressed or there's famine or there's difficulty, and that's why they, they leave, that's why they go to Moab. Um, again, one of the things that the, the video mentions too is that... Um, Ruth is, uh, Ruth is mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Judah and Tamar had twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Perez had a son named Hezron who had a son named Ram. Ram's a good name for anybody looking for a, son, a son's name. I think so. It's strong. Um, uh, who had a son named, if you want to go on the longer version, when they learn how to spell and write their name, that'd be a little bit challenging one. Aminadab. Aminadab, who had a son named Nashon, who had a son named, uh, I would say Salmon, but maybe Salmon, uh, who along with Rahab had a son named, again, here's, our, here's our, one of the main characters, Boaz. So Boaz and Ruth, real interesting. Think about it, the, 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 the way that interracial marriage is at work here, right? The Israelite race and the Moabite race. Um, a big theme of the book, they have a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, 
Jesse had a son named David who, had become, who became the king. Matthew goes on down the line and traces from David on down to Jesus. So again, this, this outsider, this Moabite, so to speak, Gentile, this pagan Ruth from the opposite race, isn't that, isn't that beautiful that, you know, again, here we have someone kind of from the outside and Jesus says, no, that's, that's, that's my people too. That's, that's my family too. So one of the things I thought that was, I've, my favorite things we've done over the past couple months was on Easter when we read the Easter narrative kind of in the round. I, was, I, really, I just felt that really brought our community together. So what I'd like to do this morning, the book of Ruth is 85 verses, right? That's not many. And I'm trying to think. We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Can we each do about four or five verses? And we'll just read the book of Ruth together. It's so important for us to just be into the Bible. I'm going to go flick on the lights so that way we can all read it. So, um, and I don't know if we necessarily have to go in any particular order, um, but it's on page 182 if you want to look at it, look at it in, in, in the Bible. Um, let me go flick on the lights and let's just read it together. Uh, we have the video context and now we'll kind of see all the details. And again, as you're reading it, um, just four or five verses. All right, who wants to start it off? together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. 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 His wife's 